All right, how is everybody? Oh, I like that. All right. Um, it is uh, really good to see everybody. So um, here's, here's uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, I, I've kind of had fun with this, this message title. Um, and uh, I've, I've gotten some responses to it, which is always kind of fun. So here's what we're going to talk about. Today, I'm going to give you a recipe for a miserable life. So if that's your plan, um, I'm going to tell you how to do it today, okay? And uh, I uh, wanted to tell you that before I start because I'm going to start with a joke. There's a little guy sitting inside a bar just looking at his drink. He sits motionless, staring like that for about a half an hour. And then this big guy breezes into the bar. He steps right next to him, reaches over, takes the drink of this poor guy and drinks it all down. At that, the poor man starts crying. The big guy's embarrassed and he says, come on, man, I was just joking. I'll buy you another drink. I don't want to see a man cry. No, that's not it, replied the guy. It's just that today has been the worst day of my life. First, I overslept and was late to an important meeting. My boss, who has a bad temper, fired me. Then when I left the building, I found out that my car had been stolen. The police filled out forms, but they said there's probably nothing that they can do. So next, I get a cab, come home, and I, after I pay the cab driver and the cab is gone, I realize that I had left my wallet in the cab. Then I get into my house and I discover that my wife has left me. And I left home and I came <clears throat> straight to this bar. And then I finally decided to put an end to my miserable life, and you show up and drink all the poison. <clears throat> Took a little while to get there, but all right. So here is our question. Uh, tell about a time in your life when you were miserable. So obviously, I'm, I'm inviting a little transparency today. I will remind you that we're online, so it'll be online until Jesus comes. I um, want you to know that. But I do hope a few of you would be willing to help us get started. If you'd like to answer the question, um, we'd like to show this to some of our, our visitors especially. Um, you get these guys' attention, they'll bring the microphone. Speak directly in the mic, give us a brief answer, stand up, and here we go, Damaris. Good morning. My name is Maris. Um, life and active addiction. My life. Yep. All right. Probably don't need to say any more. Thank you. I just want to say my life is horrible in shambles right now because I lost my sister not too long ago. So I'm coming back from a mental breakdown, and the addiction part of it is just another obstacle I'm running through right now, trying to get on top of and trying to get my life back together, but it's been so hard trying to get the help I can get. But it's hard to get help out there, especially when you need it these days. Yeah. But I'm um, trying to do it one day at a time. So cool. Thank you. We're glad you're here today. Thank you. <clears throat> For me, it's when I let work take control of everything else, and I'm not med compliant. Thank you, Heather. (laughs) 
Hi, Lighthouse family. My name is Courtney. I'm a grateful believer. And last March for me um, was a really low point, and I checked myself into Sanford for um, suicidal tendencies. So this March coming up is just like a whole new spring, hmm. and I can't wait. So. Hmm. Thanks, Courtney. All right, we'll come back here and then up front. Hi, I'm Tanya. Um, mine actually is right now as well. Um, I'm struggling going through some severe depression. Um, learning how to live alone for the first time in 48 years and to weed out those people that have come into my home and robbed me or steal from me. And so, yeah, I'm struggling big time right now, but I'm getting help, so it's all that matters. Good. Staying sober. Thanks, Tanya. It's good to see you. Hi, Misty. So, um, I guess, so, I got clean when I was 18, and I got out, and I had 12 years of sobriety, and I think when I relapsed, that was probably the worst thing in my life, because I had already overcome such a battle, and then to have to do it again, and then have my kids involved in it at that time. Mm. But it's better now. Mm. Thanks, Misty. All right, we'll go Jim and then back here. I'm Jim, addict, alcoholic. I'm, uh, I remember when I was being transported to my second prison in my life, Minnesota, how scared I was, and uh, all I could do was pray. And uh, it was a, an experience that I try to forget, but I don't forget. Thank you. Oh, yeah, thanks, Jim. Thank you for sharing. For me, it's more than one. It's uh, hmm. been miserable when I run away from the church instead of to it. Hmm. Thank you, Robert. <clears throat> Got time for one more, if anybody else is interested in sharing. Um, all right, we'll do Marjorie, and then we'll finish up here. My name is Marjorie, and one of the songs we were singing this morning reminds me that, you know, I've never been to prison, I've never been addicted to drugs or alcohol. Um, I will say that I've had a lust problem, but anything before that and even now, without Jesus, my life is miserable. So I am just, and that goes for everybody. Without him, we are miserable. Thanks, Praise Marjorie. Yep, thank you, Marjorie. So I, um, I just want to say I, I appreciate um, those of you who are um, kind of willing to share. And if you're new... Um, it's pretty common for a lot of transparency to be um, shared in this church. And um, I know that, uh, that there's a diversity of things that can make us miserable in, in life. And um, I, hope that, um, I hope that you're glad that you came today um, because I have a word I, I think that might be helpful as a reminder for all of us. So in our church, um, for a while now, we've been going through the book of Genesis and we've come to the last major character in the book of Genesis, a guy by the name of Joseph. Most of you know his story, at least a little bit. 
And um, last week, uh, we learned that Joseph was thrown into prison, but that the Lord was, was blessing him. And so Joseph actually um, had become kind of, not the warden, but kind of in charge of things within prison. And uh, in order to get into prison, um, Joseph was falsely accused. Um, he had already been sold into slavery by his brothers, um, certainly, Joseph had some personal issues and some character defects, but my guess is he was wondering, um, why isn't life going the way that it's supposed to go? Have you ever wondered that? So, you know, why isn't my life going the way that it should? Or at least I think it should. Sometimes, even when we try to do the right thing, our lives can go from bad to worse. Last week, Joseph resists the advances of his boss's wife and ends up not just getting fired for it, but thrown into prison for it. And in our lives, I mean, it can be simple things like we're honest in a relationship, but it backfires. Or maybe you're trying to save up or catch up or get financially ahead, and about the time you hit that spot the car breaks down, or uh, the hot water heater goes out. Maybe your job is just great, it's the perfect job, and the company folds. Or you're honest about your past, or your mental health, and it closes doors. Or maybe, maybe you've decided to sober up, and life still sucks. (laughs) And um, you now have to deal with the stuff that you were self-medicating for in the first place. Maybe you've decided to follow Jesus, and what it's meant is that you're losing friends, or things are not going quite as well as you would like in your life. And you might wonder, didn't Jesus say that if you follow me, things will begin to fall into place in my life? Um, If if Jesus did, didn't Jesus ever say, if you follow me, you will make more money than ever. You'll be on easy street. Your social life will skyrocket. All your life issues and struggles will disappear. Family, your family will become a role model for others and the envy of others. And even your football team will start to win. Unless you're a Vikings fan. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind of sometimes the impression we get. Like, Jesus says, follow me now, everything should be hitting a sweet spot, right? But you read um, the Gospels, and and what Jesus says is, if you follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross and carry that cross and follow me. In fact, he says that he who loses his life for my sake is going to find it says, if you choose to follow me, um, you may find that you're persecuted at times, or that you may lose friends, or you may lose family. So you hear that and you wonder, well, why would I follow? (laughs) Why would I follow Jesus? Well, because the King of kings and the Lord of lords has told me to. The one who claimed me and called me out of myself And out of darkness into light has said, follow me. 
not the one who just talks about love, but the God who is love, who is teaching me how to love myself and to love others in the right way, has said, follow me. I follow because he said that I should, and I cannot resist. I don't really even want to resist, because he is not only my master, but my friend. Jesus says to you and to me, come follow me. Now, the God that we are talking about, um, I want you to know that he's always got a plan, and he's always working. And even when things are falling apart, God is still working. Um, Frankly, my life and this Lighthouse family is testimony to that, and I know that, that many of your lives are testimony to that. Even when things are falling apart, God is still working. He still has a plan. You know, you and I um, see what's in front of us. And, um, you know, we maybe see a little bit of what's in front of us today, a little bit tomorrow, but, but it's hard for us to really see what's down the road. And we kind of try to map out these plans, but, you know, they don't often go the way that we hope they are. I often will stand up here and we'll talk about, you know, defining where it is you are today. And I say that that's where we used to be and that's where we're going. And we like to think, well, I know where it is that I'm going, but um, can I just tell you, you don't know where you're going. (laughs) But God does. That's what I want you to hear today, okay? God knows where you're going. And um, the funny thing is, is that when we're going through whatever it is we're going through today, um, all we see is what we're going through. God sees what he's going to do with it in the future. God sees what his plan is for the future. God knows how he can use the struggles that we go through for his purposes. Now, um, when I... uh, I, I mean, my, my life is such a testimony to this. Um, you know, when I kind of imploded my life and, you know, was struggling with my own mental health, but, I, you know, my alcohol addiction had taken over and um, just, you know, things didn't go well and I was asked to leave my last church. And um, what I've come to realize um, in my journey is that God didn't, like, cause that to happen so that we could be here. I know that God didn't cause that to happen. But I now have also come to peace with the idea that God knew what was going to happen and had this moment, this day, right now, in our conversation, he had that in mind um, way back when, when I was going through that stuff. Now, I wish he would have sometimes figured out a different plan. I'd like it the easier, softer way. Anybody else? Yeah, that's just not how it always works. I want you to know that God knows where you're going, that you are in his hands, that you are in his plan. And it's just hard to see that. It's just very hard to see that. So Joseph, um, this, this guy in, in the book of Genesis, you know, his life's falling apart over and over again. You know, his brothers sell him into slavery. In prison, you know, he finds himself, you know, kind of at the last straw. In fact, it's prison in a foreign country. 
And it made me wonder, have you ever had a time in your life when you felt like, you know what, it's over? But now you see that it might have been the best thing that could have ever happened. People who have spent some time um, in jail will often tell me that. They'll say, you know, at the time it was like, oh no. And then now, as they see God's plan unfold, um, they realize that, you know, that might have been the best thing that could have happened to me. Might have been the only thing that would get my attention. Now, when, when Joseph is in prison, we're seeing some really important things in his life. Um, first of all, we're seeing that he remains faithful to God, um, that God blesses him, and we see that, that Joseph literally is put in charge of the prison. So with that in mind, I want to read a little bit of the story that comes next. So it's going to be uh, Genesis 40, verse 1 and following. Everybody's been asking, what do the Fs mean? It's kind of a church Bible thing. It means following, verse 1. And so I want to read a bit of this story um, with you. And I mean, I encourage you to read all of chapters 40 and 41 sometime this week. But... Um, this is a, it's kind of an interesting story, so we, we kind of got to read chapter 40 through and uh, follow along, and I think you will uh, find it interesting. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams as God's business, Joseph replied, go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his first dream, or his dream first, excuse me. In my dream, he said, I saw the grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup, then I placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. This is what that dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up, restore, your, restore you to your position as a chief cupbearer, and please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and I'm now here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them up uh, from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away your flesh. Nice story, huh? 
Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. Then he restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Now, we don't want to end quite there. Let's go a little further. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed. Did you hear that? Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing in the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows coming out of the river and began grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up from behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy, fat cows. And at this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. Then he has another dream kind of similar to it. Verse 8, skip down. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I'm reminding, reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago you were angry with the chief baker and me. You imprisoned us in the palace of the captain guard. One night the chief baker and I each had a dream. Each dream had its own meaning. There was this young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. He told me our dreams and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as chief cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Well, guess what Pharaoh does next? He says, bring him to me. And Joseph interprets his dreams. I'm going to let you read the rest of chapter 41 on your own. Joseph says that the dreams are fairly simple. They're predicting that you're going to have, that Egypt is going to have seven years of plenty. And there's going to be a bountiful harvest, but it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And so God is sending you this dream so that you can prepare in the first seven years for the next seven years. Pharaoh is so overcome by Joseph's interpretation that he puts Joseph in charge. He becomes the right-hand man to Pharaoh, and now Joseph is in charge of preparing for those seven years to come. It's an interesting story. And when I read it, I'm so struck at how no matter what situation is in, he's in, Joseph seems to make the best of the situation. Now, maybe it's easier when God's really blessing you. I don't know. Although it's hard to be in a foreign prison and feel like you're really being blessed. But no matter what the situation, God seems to, you know, be blessing him. But Joseph also just seems to make the most of it. Like, that he's not whining. Um, he's just kind of, you know, trying to remain faithful and see where God takes him. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time together. Um, I want to, little tongue-in-cheek, teach um, and check with you um, what it is that you want to do with your life in this way. Because I would like to give you a recipe for being miserable if that's really what you want. So if you really want to be miserable with the rest of your life, today I'm going to tell you how. 
And um, if not, maybe we'll have a few pointers for what we can do to prevent it. So, um, you know, my guess is everything I'm going to share is stuff you already know. Um, I find that oftentimes I need to be reminded of things that I already know because sometimes I don't always practice them that well. Maybe there's something that you and God, out of what we're going to talk about today, might feel like it's time to work on. So, so you want to be miserable. Turn and tell somebody. So you want to be miserable. Here is number one. The first ingredient. Wait until circumstances are just right to be happy. Now, I know that it's a little more complicated than just having a good attitude, but this is where we start, okay? If you want to be miserable, then you should decide that you want to be miserable and that you're going to be miserable. If you have decided that you're going to be miserable as long as you have depression and anxiety, as long as you decide you're going to be miserable, as long as you have addictive thoughts or people in life who annoy you, or a tendency to make mistakes or bad decisions, or the, you know, you're going to be miserable as long as you have the perfect job or more money than you need, or the perfect friends or a fully functional family, you are going to be miserable the rest of your life. So I remember um, way back when, when I started at... Um, a gym in South Fargo. I, I go to a gym still years later uh, called Courts Plus in South Fargo. And uh, the first years when I would go there um, in the morning, um, I would work out. And most days, um, I would see this guy um, come in by the name of Jed. And um, I got to know him a little bit. And um, he doesn't come in there very often anymore, but I still have some connections um, with him. And and um, it was interesting because for those first years while I was there, um, I'd usually get there before him and I'd be working out, um, usually on an elliptical machine, and Jed would come in and use the machine next to me. And I would say, how you doing, Jed? And Jed always, every day, had the same response. I'm doing super good, super good today. <laughs> All right. First it took me back a little bit. Later, it annoyed me a little bit. I'm super good, super good today. And I thought to myself, um, you can't be super good every day, Jed. Um, and I don't know if he was. My guess is he wasn't. I know a little bit about his story. But he was telling himself he was. And here's the funny thing. As I remember back to that, um, I remember that, that um, the days when Jed would come and tell me he was super good today seemed a little brighter than the days that he didn't. So not only might it impact our own lives, but it might impact the lives of others. A couple of weeks ago, um, if you were here, I shared with you um, my definition of joy and my definition of happiness. I said happiness... Um, is a human emotion dependent upon external circumstances. So happiness can be up and down. It kind of depends on what goes on around us. The joy, especially the joy of the Lord, that's what I'm really talking about. Joy is like this internal strength and well-being despite the external circumstances. 
In other words, um, I can feel okay on the inside even if I'm in prison in a foreign country. You with me? Um, I, uh, I can feel okay um, on some level or at least strength on some level even though um, things might be falling apart around me. The joy of the Lord can be something that works on the inside that can help us face um, each day um, no matter what it is that life throws at us. That's what Joseph had, I believe. Joseph had this joy that, that let him kind of accept his reality and try to make the best of every situation. Now, my guess is it didn't come as quickly as I just said it because he was a human being. But somehow he was able to get to a point where he said, oh, this is where I am. I'm going to try to make the best of it. You know what it made me think of? It made me think of those of you who know the book of Acts in the New Testament. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul and Silas at one point are arrested and they're thrown into prison. And um, it says that later that night they were singing praises to God and it kind of affected the, you know, the, the, the soldiers and the, the people who were guarding the prison um, because they were telling them that even though you've thrown me into prison, I'm super good. I'm super good, yeah? Now, I think that a key to um, this whole thing, you can go to the, to the um, next slide. I think a key is to really um, find gratitude in our lives. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. So this first sentence doesn't really go with really what I wanted to point out, but I thought it was probably worth including today. Don't get drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Duh. I guess most of us know that. All right. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God, the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks for everything. Give thanks for gratitude is such a key man. For those of you who are in recovery or work in a recovery program, you'll learn that pretty on. Gratitude is such a key. Um, I was remembering uh, this week as I was preparing, um, having attended some years ago now um, a training session on um, Native Americans' trauma and some of the intergenerational trauma that they've gone through. And it's a great workshop, it was a great week. Um, and um, I was in this circle the first day, and um, the leader, the leader made a comment. She said, "We're going to begin with a prayer. Um, who would be willing to pray?" It was. It's always refreshing when not everybody looks at me, um, and I didn't know, you know, who was. I didn't know many in the group. I didn't know what their spiritual situation was, and I thought, well, this should be interesting. Um, and then a young woman who I did know because she had been coming to some of the stuff here at Lighthouse, um, she lived in Center, um, halfway house in town. She said, she, young Native, beautiful Native American woman, she said, I'll pray. And then I thought, this will really be interesting. And um, she, she prayed in, a, in what I assumed was a prayer that she had kind of learned or a, a way of praying. 
Um, and she, she started by saying, you know, God, thank you for waking me up this morning, opening my eyes. My eyes worked. I could see. Thank you for my feet. When they hit the ground, I was able to stand up and walk. Thank you for my feet. What would I do without my feet? And she said, I, I walked into the bathroom and I ran water over my hands and I splashed it in my face. And as I saw the waters running over, water running over my hands, I thank you for, for water. What a gift water is, she said. And, you know, I can drink it and I flush the toilet with it. I'm going to make coffee with it. And and um, she talked about water, and then she said, and I saw the water running over my hands, and, and I want to thank you for my hands. What would I do without my hands? And every finger, you know, every finger is so important, and I, here's the things that I can do with my hands. And I'm sitting there listening to this prayer, and I look at her, and I think, holy cow, do I have a lot to learn about prayer. Holy cow, do I have a lot to learn about prayer. I mean, I just, I say, you know, God, thank you for the blessings in my life. Hmm. She thanked God for the fingers on her hand. Wow, man, I was just blown away. Um, can you go to the next screen? If you want to be miserable, wait until the circumstances are right to be happy. If not, learn to practice gratitude and um, to realize that, you know, it's never going to be perfect. Number two, if you want to be miserable, compare yourself to others. If you want to be miserable, compare yourself to others. Um, Galatians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 says this, uh, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Uh, one of the great gifts of recovery for me has been literally this realization that, that um, I have enough to take care of myself most days. And I still don't do a great job of it. And I, I've learned that if I'm going to serve you or help you, um, really the first and most important thing for me to do is to kind of figure out how to take care of Dale and some of his issues, because then that's going to naturally turn me out to help you and to serve you. And I, I've just learned that, that, that if, I, if I spend time comparing myself to other people, um, it'll make me miserable, because there's always going to be people who seem to have more or have things more put together than I do. You ever notice that? And there's always going to be people who seem to have it worse than I do, and it gives me a false impression of how well I'm doing. You know, I learned um, early on in recovery, don't compare your insides with other people's outsides. Don't compare your inside. Don't compare what's going on in your life to what you see on the outside of others because everybody has something going on that you know nothing about. So um, I learned life struggles do not discriminate. Um, envy, envy will make you miserable. And I just want you to know that God has created you unique in his image. He has you in his care and in his plan. And so lean into him. 
Fall in love with Jesus and let him shape you because he has a plan and a purpose for you and it's not the same as the person next to you. Turn and tell the person next to you, you are special. One of the things that just amazes me um, about Joseph is Joseph seems to know his own giftedness you know, jo- Joseph seems to know, you know, this is something I'm good at. I can interpret dreams. God's blessed me with that gift. And he knew God was with him. Even in his miserable conditions, he was willing to serve God. And so I want you to know, I just want you to hear this. Um, you know, we talk about this all the time, but it's important to say that God has made you to be you. He's not made you to be the person that's next to you. He's not even made you to be like the person next to you. Mark, God has made Mark to be Mark, not somebody else. Yep. And Amy, God has made Amy to be Amy, not somebody else. Jasmine, even you. God has made Jasmine to be Jasmine. And so... Lean into God and let him shape who it is that God is trying to create within you. God has created you in his image. He's created you as a masterpiece. He's created you and he has said you are good. And so um, if you want to be miserable, keep comparing yourself to others. But if not, get away from it. Number three, you want to be miserable? Go it alone. If you want to be miserable, go it alone. Because we need each other. We talk about this all the time. Isolation is our enemy. Uh, Turn and tell someone, I need you. Turn and tell someone like you mean it. Come on. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 19 verse 20 says this. Get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise the rest of your life. You want to be miserable? Don't listen to others. If you want to be miserable, think that you know it all. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Since God chose you to be his holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Paul has this incredible vision of community. You know, I was thinking about this this ingredient um, to miserableness the other night when Tim, some of you are at Celebrate Recovery on Thursday night, Timmy shared his testimony and uh, Tim talked about in his last incarceration, uh, it was during COVID. And I, I found this because I made quite a few jail visits during COVID, um, that um, all the programming was shut down. And um, I said, you know, how's that going? I mean, what are you able to do? And he says, well, a bunch of us guys are having a Bible study. And I heard that from um, some of the ladies that I had visited as well. And just just remarkable. And what that tells me is that God, somewhere in the rooms of recovery, somewhere at Lighthouse Church, had already instilled in some of you that, you know, in a bad situation, you make the best of it, and we need each other, so we need to connect. 
need to support one another. We need to learn from one, right, uh, one another. Now, it is probably important to acknowledge that we need each other, but we also need the right people in our life. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. What we are trying to do at Lighthouse Church is create a community where you can come and not be judged, where you can be accepted and encouraged on this journey, and where you can come and hear about a God who loves you and is, is working in your life. Um, and so, you know, pick the community that you connect with carefully. Um, we need each other. And we need to keep doing the things that make us healthy. God uses other people to heal. Okay, the last ingredient. Um, If you want to be miserable, listen to Satan and ignore God's word. I want you to know Satan wants you to be miserable. If you're miserable, he's winning. Um, Now here's the deal. It is important to say this. You and I are capable of being miserable on our own. You know, sometimes I don't even need Satan to be miserable. Um, But I also do know that Satan knows my weaknesses and he knows yours. And that he will lead you into paths of darkness. And he will lead you to your life becoming miserable. And oftentimes for people in this community, it is shame-based. Because shame is of Satan. We talk about the difference between guilt and shame Guilt is I'm a human being who does some bad things. Shame is I'm a bad person. Guilt is actually part of what God does in our lives. Um, God put that there. It's you know the Holy Spirit working in our lives to correct us um, because we make bad mis- decisions sometimes. Or is that just me? And the Holy Spirit can guide us. But shame... This idea that we are a bad person is, is of Satan. And, and if you hear voices that speak to you things like, you are a loser, you're always going to be a loser, you are a failure, you are unlovable, you are unredeemable, that you can't do anything right, that your life is hopeless, that is not of God. And so listen to God, listen to his promises. We could talk about that all day. Psalm 139 verse 14 says, Thank you for making me, say me, wonderfully complex your workmanship is marvelous how well i know it that's the word of god psalm 86 verse 15 but you O lord are a god of compassion and mercy slow to get angry filled with unfailing love and faithfulness you see god loves you so much he loves you unconditionally in jesus god's forgiveness is certain He can make you and mold you into the person that he wants you to become. And you're going to still struggle. We're going to still have difficulties. There might even be days we're miserable. But but your life in Jesus can have purpose and it can have meaning. You know, I, I, I remember in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how we have this treasure of Jesus in jars of clay. And uh, what we know about jars of clay back in biblical times is that, you know, they were important. But, you know, jars of clay, they chip, they get broken, they get cracked. And, and he says we have this treasure in jars of clay so that people will look at us and not see how wonderful and amazing you are, but see how wonderful and amazing your God is. And then he goes on to say that because we have this treasure in our lives, because we have this joy of the Lord in our lives... We will never give up 
Because that we know, even if today is not going the way we want it to, even if today is miserable, even if I'm struggling today, I know that everything that I experience is in God's hand and that God has a plan for me and that he is never going to give up on me. Um, Because Christ lives in you, there can be joy, joy of the Lord. And because of that, it means that we can move forward each day without without the fear that um, life is going to overpower us. Amen?